0: Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Connie.
1: And I'm Danny. And as God is transforming the seasons into this beautiful fall moment, God is also seeking to transform our hearts and lives through the celebration of worship.
0: We're glad that you've joined us. Come on in. Our first lesson this morning is taken from Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, "'Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him.' Then all of his bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, "'Give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out.' But the wise replied, "'No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves.' And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Our second reading is taken from the book of Joshua. We were reading the first three chapters and first three verses in chapter 24. That is one through three A. That is half of that verse A. And then we'll jump to verse 14 and read through 25. So listen for God's word to us in Joshua 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led them through all the land of Canaan, and made his offspring many. Shifting to verse 14. Now therefore revere the Lord, Joshua tells them, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Now if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us all along the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then God will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and God we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statutes and ordinances for them at Shechem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, three pets die and go to heaven. And right there at the gates is God, God's self, sitting in God's throne. And God calls the first pet, Labrador Retriever, up, come on. <laughs> Come here, boy, come here, boy. Sit, sit right here. And God says, tell me about how you lived your life. What were your principles? What were your guiding uh, uh, paradigms in which you lived? And the puppy says, Oh, I love my master, love my master. Loyal, loyalty, loyalty. And God says, That is fantastic. Good for you. Come on in. So the second one, a German shepherd. God calls a German shepherd, Allo! God says, well, well, hello, puppy. Um, Tell me about your principles. How did you live your life when on earth? He says, I protected my family. I was loyal to them. Fantastic. Good for you. Come on in. Come on in. And the third, house cat. God says, well, come on up here, kitty cat. Tell me about your principles and your guiding uh, uh, paradigms with your family that you lived with. How did you live your life? And the cat eyes God and God's thrown up and down and says, I believe you're sitting in my seat. <laughs> so true, is it not? For cat lovers out there. Today is about who sits in that seat. Today it is about Loyalty. It is about who and what we are loyal to in this journey. So we are in the book of Joshua. That is deep in the early part of the Old Testament. We have the Pentateuch, the first five books Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then the first book out is Joshua. We remember Moses led the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the Promised Land. They were there for 40 years. And while they were there, all of that generation passed away before they got to the promised land. It was a part of that process that God was making sure that those who had been unfaithful or those who didn't honor their covenant with God, that generation had passed and a new one would enter the promised land. Not even Moses made it to the promised land, if you remember. God showed him but he wasn't able to enter. But there were two individuals who did, the only two, Caleb and Joshua. If you remember, there were 12 spies sent into the promised land early. And their job was to do reconnaissance and come back and tell Moses and the rest of the leaders if it was possible for them to, to conquer the Holy Land, the promised land. And 10 of them come back and say, Oh no, there's too many. There, there's, we, we, can't, we can't overtake them with our forces. And Caleb and Joshua come back and say, Oh yeah, we got it. Said, We should absolutely take this land back because God promised it to us and it is God who will see us through. So those two, Caleb and Joshua, are the only two that then make it into the promised land. And Joshua must have been young at this point because after Moses dies, again, as they are entering the promised land, who takes over? It is Joshua. Joshua is a difficult book. If you've studied it, there is death and mayhem. That is where a lot of people look at the Old Testament God and say, is that the same as the God we claim to be a loving God through Christ? And it is, by the way, one God from beginning to end, past, present, future. Thank God for that. But it's tough. And at the end is the part we like. So they go through the conquest. They take the land of the Canaanites. And up to right before uh, chapter 24, Joshua gets the people and divides the lands that were conquered And so now Joshua himself has aged, and before his death, just like Moses in Deuteronomy, that's the second giving of the law, which is what that means. He was writing before he died, Moses, to make sure that the people understood the law and the covenants that had been made with God. Although they continued to break it, Moses wanted to make sure. So Joshua here is doing the same at the end of the book of Joshua. And Joshua is telling them, Don't you remember this journey? Our ancestors from beyond the river, the Euphrates. Before I called Abraham, they brought all of their idols, their false gods, with them. And now we are making a new covenant with God because we celebrate not only the whole Exodus event, but now God has kept God's promises, the promised land that was promised to them through Abraham is now theirs. So they're making a new covenant. And idols, foreign idols is the focus of Joshua. They are empty. They will do you harm. You must put them down and you must fully commit yourselves to the God of our ancestors who you've experienced the wonders and miracles of God, and that God keeps God's promises. And then the line we all say could be on our placemats, our bumper stickers, our keychains, our framed walls. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the one. That's the one. So what does it mean then when Joshua says serve the word serve itself, the Hebrew word, ava, means to work, to work. When we say, me and my house, we will serve the Lord, yes, we will. That, that's almost a little ambiguous. If you switch it out for, as for me and my house, we will work for the Lord. That is active, that is right to the point. It is not about the intellectual search. It is about doing. It is about responding to the gracious acts and promises of God in our world. So our chief question today is, are we willing to work for God? Are we willing to work for the relationship that God provided for us through Jesus Christ? There's that old joke slash proverb that says the difference between involvement and committal is like eggs and bacon. The chicken is involved, the pig is committed. Often we live our life like the chicken. We can lay some good faith eggs here and there. We're involved, that's the beginning. Not speaking down to that. That means we... We have some cursory relationship with church, with God. We see a Bible, even though it's closed, we say, yep, I'm a believer. We go to downtown for live music and we see the steeples. Yep, that's my church. Was there a couple times last year before the shutdown. I do a little bit here, do a little bit there, do my thing. That's involvement. And again, that's not bad. That's a start. But if we live our life just with involvement, we miss the meaning of the relationship altogether that we've been called to. That is commitment. Woodrow Wilson, 28th president of the United States, said that loyalty is meaningless unless at its heart There is the absolute principle of self-sacrifice. Loyalty means nothing unless there lives the principle of self-sacrifice. Think about it. What things in your life are you loyal to that you haven't self-sacrificed for? Your job? I bet you've self-sacrificed for that. If you are married or in significant relationships, I bet you have self-sacrificed for that. For friendships that are significant, family relationships that continue to grow, I bet you self-sacrificed for that. Even for our journey, for those of you who have committed and engaged in self-sacrifice, you know the benefit of that. Now, let's... Take a step back a little bit. Let's say by chance you are a Notre Dame fan. I don't know why you would be, but let's just say that you are. You're not so bad the last few years. You've not been in the top five, 10. You flirted with some of that, that's not bad. But you've remained loyal to your team even when they haven't been top ranked. And so November 7th, 2020, that is yesterday, Your team that you have been loyal to for Lord knows how long stands up and beats the number one ranked undefeated Clemson Tigers. Boom. Payoff. A little something positive in your struggle year after year after year. The same is true with our relationship with Christ, only we don't have to wait year after year. When we self-sacrifice for this relationship, with Christ, we experience immediately the depth of our understanding, the depth of that knowledge. Once we have fully committed ourselves, then we are filled with all that we have prior wanted. Now, we're not going to get everything in the way that we want it all the time. We're not immediately going to turn the light on and everything is as we had always hoped it would be, as it is with our walk with Christ. But... The depth and the commitment is where we finally get to know God and ourselves and the world around us. If we stay just involved and not fully committed, if we are in an intellectual way connected to God, yes, I believe I have chosen to give my life to Christ, we're not yet working. That's step, that's involvement but for me and for me and my household to serve the lord it means we are doing it means we are hands on it means we can be observed by others and they will know that we have a deep commitment our passage today is at the heart of our discipleship journey Will we be like the cat that says, uh, I think you're in my seat, God? And the honest truth is we all seek that seat because we want to be God. From the garden afterwards, that has been our goal. And we see ourselves as the God of our own little world. There's no doubt about it. The difficult part, that's the involvement, comes in the commitment And to move us to that place where we don't need to sit in God's throne because we know that God is there. We trust. We trust. We can't get near that throne, by the way. God's power, love, and joy will overwhelm us, and we'll see the error of our ways when that deep commitment happens. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorites. World War II theologian, we know his story, mild-mannered, geeky theologian, pastor, professor type, and yet when Hitler and the Nazis rise, he stands up with the confessing church movement and says, no, this is not God's plan, this is against what God would have us do, even implicated in an assassination attempt of Adolf Hitler himself hung in 1945, a literal handful of days before that camp where he was kept would be liberated by the Allies. But his seminal work in the book, A Cost of Discipleship, two simple principles that we continue to struggle with. On our entry level, it is eggs and bacon. It is involvement versus commitment. Commitment. In his world, it is cheap grace versus costly grace. Cheap grace is what happens when we accept and expect that God will be present for us, will forgive us. We ask God for the forgiveness. We seek God's grace, God's light, God's hope in our world, God's presence, God's healing to listen to our prayers. And yet we do very little in response for those gifts. That is cheap grace. Costly grace is that self-sacrifice. When we know what we have been given, we feel that depth of relationship with Christ and we fully give ourselves. And in the giving of ourselves, it is our whole being. It is our time, our talent, and our treasure for that is an evaluation of what we hold dear in this life. Costly grace is where we want to be, friends. And I know in our minds we think, well, that's going to cost me something. I have to stop some things. I might have to change my life or I might have to do this or that. And that's what often stops us. We are paralyzed by the fear that God is going to transform us. At the same time, we want God to transform us. We want to be in the place of deep commitment because that's where that fertile soil grows. It grows those seeds that plant our hearts. It's the faith that when we share grows as we use it. It is in the way that we serve others. Our costly grace is where we need to come to. Cheap grace is, again, it's involvement. It's an entry level because we're at least aware that God loves us enough And that God is providing for us all of these things that God said God would and does. But for this to be honest, for us to live as disciples, we move from involvement to commitment. We move from cheap grace to costly grace because nothing else is more important, nothing. And when we see that and we commit ourselves, then we can humbly say we are serving the Lord. We are working for God. Those are the things we want that we're afraid to fully give because on some level we're afraid again that our lives will have to change or that God really isn't there after all and we don't want to be fools or waste our time. So we stay like the chicken and we lay eggs. It's a start to faith, but we can't reside there. So think about your life. Think about where on that spectrum you might be. We're called to so much more, friends, than dipping our toe in the water. We're being called to jump in. That's where the fun is, right? Can't enjoy the pool, dipping your toe in the water. You only enjoy it when you're in. And guess what? There's other people there and you live that joy together. And so it is with our faith. So I invite you to please stand. Come on. I invite you, if you are able And I would invite you to repeat after me, and when we say the word serve, in your mind you can think work or work for. I'll say it first, and then I'll invite you to join me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Once more, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.